The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Roger Williams. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Ranger David Dalzell from the 1st Battalion, the Royal Irish Regiment, who died on Friday, and Warrant Officer Class 2 Colin Beckett from the 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, who died on Saturday. They were both highly respected soldiers who served with utmost dedication and pride. They will be hugely missed by their colleagues and by all who knew them, knew them, and our deepest sympathy should be with their family and their friends. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Roger Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the whole House will want to join with the Prime Minister in the expression of his sympathy for the recent loss of life in Afghanistan. Uh, training establishments in my constituency, like the Sennybridge Ranges and the Infantry <laughs> Battle School, have built up very good relationships between the community and the military, and they are ongoing and strengthening. Uh, Mr Speaker, UK universities have a worldwide uh, reputation for, uh, uh, for both teaching and uh, research. Many foreign students wish to attend those universities, and they are important not least because of the £5 billion that they contribute to the national economy. <coughs> Many universities are very concerned that government proposals... For a short, sharp question, please. Can the Prime Minister give assurance to the universities that any proposals won't discourage recruitment of genuine students? The, the Honourable Gentleman makes an extremely good point. Our universities in this country are world class and we want students from around the world to come to those universities to study, not just for the contribution they bring financially, but because of the links they will make between our country and their country in years to come. I can tell him we're not actually currently looking at limits on Tier 4 in terms of immigration visas, but I make this point to anyone who's concerned about this issue. I profoundly believe we can have excellent universities open to foreign students and control immigration at the same time. And the reason I'm so confident is last year there were around 91,000 students who did not go to the trusted uh, universities but went to other colleges, some 600 colleges, and I'm sure that the extent of the abuse is very great. And if we crack down on that abuse, we can make sure there are many students coming to our excellent universities. Band. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Ranger David Dalzell from 1st Battalion, the Royal Irish Regiment, and Warrant Officer Class 2 Colin Beckett from 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment. We should all remember both men for their heroism, their dedication and their sacrifice, and our deep condolences go to their family and friends. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us, how is his big society going? <laughs> well, I, I believe... I believe... I actually believe that almost every single member of this House of Commons actually backs what we're talking about. And let me just explain what it is. The idea, the idea of devolving power to local authorities and beyond to communities, that was in his manifesto, it was in my manifesto, it was indeed in the Liberal Democrat manifesto. I think we all support it. The idea of opening up public services to more local involvement and control. Again, it was in all of our manifestos and we support it. And I believe probably every single member of this House of Commons spends time in their own constituency encouraging volunteering, encouraging philanthropic giving and wanting people to play a bigger part in a bigger society. I think the whole House is united over it. 
Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we all support thriving communities, and that's why, and that's why there is such concern from charities up and down the country. Now, why doesn't he listen to people who know a lot about volunteering, like Dame Elizabeth Hoodless? the Chief Executive of the Community Service Volunteers, the largest volunteering charity in Britain. She says the Prime Minister's policies are destroying the volunteer army. Obviously, I don't agree with what she has said, but I, I want to... I want to work with all those involved in charities and voluntary bodies to encourage them to play a strong part in this. And we are putting £470 million across this spending review into charities and voluntary bodies. We are also establishing a £100 million transition fund to help charities affected by cuts. And something I can tell him for the first time today, because of our deal with the banks, the big society bank, wait for it, Wait for it. The big society bank will be taking two hundred million pounds from Britain's banks to put into the voluntary sector. They would have got nothing out of the banks, so I'm sure he'll want to stand up and welcome that. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, he doesn't he doesn't mention he doesn't mention that he's cutting billions of pounds from voluntary sector organisations up and down this country. Now, let's take an example. Let's take an example of where parents volunteer and a crucial part of local communities, Shawstart. Before the election, he promised to protect Shawstart. In fact, he decided to cut funding by 9%. And the daycare trust say 250 sure starts are expected to close. Can you tell us, how is that helping the big society? Well, first of all, let me just say, they put money into the banks. We're taking money out of the banks and putting it into the big society. Now, he asked specifically about SureStart, and he asked specifically about the Daycare Trust. And I have to say, Mr Speaker, not for the first time, he hasn't done his homework, because the chief executive of the Daycare Trust, Anand Shukla, said this. The government has allocated sufficient funding for the existing network of SureStart children's centres to be maintained. Order. Order. These exchanges are excessively rowdy. And again, order, again, I must ask members on both sides to consider what the public thinks of this sort of behaviour. The Prime Minister, order, questions will be heard and the answers from the Prime Minister will be heard. The Prime Minister. So I'm looking forward to the answer to this one, which is we have maintained the money for Sure Start, we've maintained the money for children's centres, and the head of the Daycare Trust backs our view rather than his. Mr Speaker, he's cut the funding and we'll judge him on whether the Shore Start Centres do close over the coming months. Now, now the problem with his argument about local government, and it's the nonsense peddled by the local government secretary, is that they say that they can make 28% cuts in local government funding and not affect any frontline services. Now, what does the Conservative head of the LGA, the Local Government Association, say about that? She says the local government secretary is detached from reality. So, so, so let's so let's ask about libraries. Let's ask about libraries. There are four libraries threatened with closure in his own constituency and hundreds up and down the country. Can he explain to people who are concerned about this 
How does he expect people to volunteer at the local library if it's being shut down? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, let me just deal with this question on SureStart. I know he got that wrong. No, no. We'll come on to we'll come on to libraries in a minute. On SureStart, the budget is going from 2.212 million to 2.297 million. That budget is going up. That is what's happening. Now he asks. He, he put he put a particular example. Let me put a particular example to him. Let me ca- take the case. We'll come on to libraries. Let me just take the case of one council, Liverpool Council. Right. The cuts to Liverpool Council will mean that by 2013 they will go back to the level of grant they got in 2009. So what we're seeing is politically motivated moves by Labour councils. Yes. I remember, I remember the times when Labour leaders stood up to their Labour councils that were making these decisions. Now, on the issue of libraries, as I've said, because we are taking council spending back to the level generally in terms of grants it was in 2007, I see no reason at all why they should not continue with a very well-funded network of libraries. But I think we all know, we all know a truth about libraries, which is those that will succeed are the ones when they wake up to the world of new technology, of uh, the internet and everything else, and investment goes in. That is what needs to happen. And should councils look at community solutions for other libraries, I believe that they should. And I think instead of sniping and jumping on every bandwagon, he ought to get behind the big society. Mr Speaker, only this Prime Minister could blame the libraries for closing. (laughs) Now, he needs to understand why his big society idea is in such trouble. It's because up and down this country, libraries, sure start centres, citizens' advice bureaus, community centres, including in Hammersmith and Fulham, his flagship council, those things at the very heart of our society are threatened with closure. And Mr Speaker, if it's going so well, why does his own big society adviser, Paul Twyvey, say this idea is increasingly loathed by the public? We're all waiting for his big idea. Yes, Mr Speaker, and we have got it. We've got their big idea. Labour have published their fresh new ideas. The tree was chopped down and there is absolutely nothing in it. <laughs> we, all, we all knew we wanted a blank page, but no one thought he'd publish a whole book of them. <laughs> Where, what are his plans? What are his great ideas? He hasn't got a single idea for making this country a better place. And instead of sniping, why doesn't he actually join in and work out how we could build a bigger society in our country? Mr Speaker, I do say to him, he shouldn't get so angry, it'll cloud his judgment. (laughs) He's not the first Prime Minister I've said that to. Uh, (laughs) Mr Speaker, doesn't the right honourable member for Holton, Price and Howden get to the truth behind the Prime Minister's motives? He says, the right honourable member, he says, if you talk about the small state, you sound like Attila the Hun. But if you talk about the big society, people might think you're Mother Teresa. I I have to say, after what he's doing to charities up and down this country, nobody's going to think he's Mother Teresa. Isn't the truth being exposed day by day? He's cutting too far and too fast. And society is becoming smaller and weaker, not bigger and stronger. The the problem with everything the right honourable gentleman has said 
is that all of the cuts we are having to make is because of the complete mess he made of the economy. And that is, that is the background for this whole debate. And I have to say to him, we now know what they think of the inheritance they left us. Because the Shadow Chancellor has said this, I don't think we had a structural deficit at all in that period. That is what he said. And the Institute for Fiscal Studies say, by the eve of the financial crisis, the UK had one of the largest structural deficits in the developed world. Can I just advise the Honourable Gentleman, the first stage of recovery is to recognise you've got a problem. Because the truth about that party opposite, they doubled the debt, they let the banks rip, they bankrupted the country, and their only message is, let us do it all over again. Mr Speaker, my constituent rifleman Jack Otter lost both his legs and his arm while serving in Afghanistan over 15 months ago. I am sure the Prime Minister and this whole House understand the debt we owe Jack and others like him who served their country. With the, with the number of British soldiers losing limbs having increased by 40% from 2009 to 2010. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that it's important we find access to new resources to ensure that the patients and staff at Headley Court can continue their excellent standard of work, which is sadly coming under greater pressure? The the Honourable Gentleman makes an incredibly important point about what's happening in terms of the number of people returning single, double and sometimes treble amputees, and a very important point about what we as a society must do to support them. Uh, I visited Headley Court, I know many others have as well. It is an absolutely magnificent facility. There's a new ward that opened in September last year. It now has a capacity of 111 trauma beds. Because of what Help for Heroes have done, uh, there's a 25-metre swimming pool, there's a Battle of Britain gym with a sprung sports floor, there's a centre for mental and cognitive health. But we must go on making sure that this magnificent facility is continually improved and we do everything for our brave returning soldiers. Mr Stewart. Just over a year ago, the Prime Minister visited a maternity unit and found our midwives to be overworked. As a result of this, he promised that with a Conservative government, he would bring about 3,000 more midwives. Could he tell us how a year on he's gone about to bring about that 3,000 increase? Well, the first thing we've done is ignore the advice from the party opposite and increase the NHS budget. That is the first thing. That is, we would not be making progress on any of these health issues if we had followed the advice of her party and cut the NHS. We do need more uh, midwives. We do need more resources. We're making sure that those are going in. Mr Christopher Choke. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister reflect upon the decision taken in the House of Lords on Monday, supported by many senior Conservatives and crossbenchers, to enable Parliament to have a review in the event of fewer than four in ten people participating in the AV referendum? Will my right right honourable friend consider this compromise to be a reasonable one and consistent with the coalition agreement? And failing that, will he trust his own backbenchers in a free vote to make their own judgment? I have to say to my honourable friend, we have not had thresholds in previous referendums, but I don't think he should be. I don't think he should be so. um, I don't think he should be so down on this. I'm sure. The Prime Minister's answer must be heard. All this noise is da- order is damaging the chance of colleagues getting in. The Prime Minister. 
I, I'm sure that he will work with me to get the turnout up, particularly for the no vote. <laughs> Jessica Morden. Last week, a cross-party Welsh Affairs Select Committee report criticised the government's proposal to close Newport Passport Office, which will see the loss of 250 jobs, will be devastating for the economy of Newport and doesn't appear to be saving any money. Would the Prime Minister agree to, with, to meet with myself and the Honourable Member for Newport West so that we can put the case to him personally? Yeah. Um, I, I, am, I am looking at this decision. It is an important decision. I know that there is uh, great uh, work being done reflecting on what jobs can be saved in Newport and indeed in Liverpool, uh, where the two uh, competing offices are. I'm very happy to arrange for her to meet uh, my right honourable friend, the Immigration Minister, because he is actually the one who will have to make this decision and he can hear from her and the honourable member for Newport West directly. Order. Closed question. Dr Julian Lewis. Or Mr Speaker. We have made clear that we are committed to maintaining a nuclear deterrent based on Trident. That is why it was excluded from the Strategic Defence and Security Review and why we commissioned a separate value for money study. The replacement of Trident is going ahead and initial gate will be passed soon. As set out in the coalition agreement, the Liberal Democrats will continue to make the case for alternatives. To Julian Lewis. When the coalition was being formed, my right honourable friend promised a meeting of all Conservative MPs that the Liberal Democrats would support the replacement of Trident. As we know, the key decision has been postponed until after the next election, and the Liberal Democrats, from their president downwards, have been boasting that this was their achievement. Will the Prime Minister give a pledge to this House and to the country that, in the event of another hung Parliament, if the Liberal Democrats demand as the price for another coalition the scrapping of Trident, he will refuse to pay that price? First of all, let me make this point. First of all, let me make this point. The replacement of Trident is going ahead. The investment is going in. The initial gate will soon be passed. The reason for the delay is we had a value for money study because we desperately need to save some money in the Ministry of Defence so we can invest in frontline capability. That is the argument there. In terms of the future, all I can say to the honourable gentleman is I am in favour of a full replacement for Trident, for continuous at sea deterrent, and to make sure we keep our guard up. That is Conservative policy. It will remain Conservative policy as long as I'm the leader of this party. Order. Closed question. John Woodcock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But with due respect, he chose to break his word on the educational maintenance allowance. I don't know. It's like reorganising the NHS. So, why will this pledge prove any different to that? I visited the honourable gentleman's constituency. I know how important this issue is for him. I profoundly believe that we should maintain our independent nuclear deterrent. I have looked at all of the alternatives over the years, and I am completely convinced that you need a submarine-based alternative, a full replacement for Trident, in order to guarantee the ultimate insurance policy for this country. That is my view. It is the view of my party. It is the view of most of uh, the people sitting opposite. And I believe there is all party support for that move. Mr James Clapperson. Lord Carlisle, the official reviewer of terrorist legislation, said last week that this country had become a safe haven for terrorists. Will my right honourable friend give an assurance that this government will do all it possibly can to deport foreign nationals who are suspected of involvement in terrorism? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this point. It's been a concern I've had for many years that we've not been able to deport people we suspect of plotting against us in the way that we should be able to. I think Lord Carlyle has spoken and written about this 
uh, extremely clearly. We have negotiated return agreements, so-called deportations with assurance agreements, with Algeria, Jordan, Ethiopia, Libya and Lebanon. I want us to negotiate many, many more. But in the end, we must do whatever is necessary to make sure we can keep this country safe. David Simpson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The in Northern Ireland is still being held back by some dissident Republican groups. To deal with this, the Chief Constable has asked for upfront access to the reserve allocation over the next four years. Does the Prime Minister agree that if this threat is not dealt with, it will spread very quickly to the rest of the United Kingdom? And will he request or give the Chief Constable his request? Well, I have met with the Chief Constable on several occasions since becoming Prime Minister. He came to the meeting of the National Security Council where we discussed the security situation in Northern Ireland. We will do what is necessary to make sure the security and police and everything else is properly funded. I have to say, I think it's right now that these issues are devolved, uh, that there is greater decision making, greater uh, uh, efforts to put money into the front line in Northern Ireland itself. But of course, we always stand ready to help where necessary. David Nuttall. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister may uh, well recall visiting the maternity department at Fairfield Hospital in Bury when he was leader of the opposition. Uh, last week, uh, despite our pledge to keep it open and despite the, <laughs> despite the very useful new criteria issued by the Department of Health, the NHS in the North West decided to continue with the closure decision which was taken by the party opposite. Will my right honourable friend discuss with the Secretary of State for Health ways in which we can keep our pledge on this matter? Thank you. I'm very happy to discuss with my right honourable friend and with the Secretary of State for Health uh, the issue that he raises. What as he, he knows what we have done is introduce far tougher steps before these decisions can be taken to make sure that the reviews of patients and local needs and local GPs are respected. And the whole point about the new system, which is GP-led, is that hospitals will thrive when local people use and value them. Cairns. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. In the last few weeks, the government has rebranded ASBOs as CBOs, renamed control orders as TPIMs, and rechristened curfews as overnight residence requirements. <laughs> Does he not realise that no amount of rebranding will disguise the fact that a government preparing to cut police numbers by 10,000 will be seen as anything other than weak on antisocial behaviour, reckless on terrorism and soft on crime? Yeah! Well, I notice that the party opposite is going a long way to rebranding new Labour as old and irresponsible Labour. And uh, I have to say, the project is going very well. Rut me. David? Does my right, right honourable friend agree? Does my right honourable friend agree that the quality of the debate on the future of Britain's uh, debt burden is enhanced by the deficit denial of the front bench opposite? Yeah. yeah. No. My honourable friend makes an extremely good point. They went from a situation of beginning to understand that they had left us with a debt burden. They were beginning to own up to it. And now, with the new Shadow Chancellor, they are in complete and utter deficit denial. They haven't even taken the first step to being a responsible opposition. Mike Weir. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Around the country, driving test centres such as those in Arbroath and Forth in my constituency are being closed without any consultation whatsoever with the local community and instructors. Surely that is the complete opposite of localism. Will the Prime Minister lean over and instruct his transport secretary to put a stop to such closures until there has been at the very least consultation with the local community and the consideration of alternative ways to provide the service? Now, I understand the importance of these facilities in, in rural communities, and as I understand it, the Chief Executive of the Driving Standards Agency has said that she will explore further how they can continue to offer facilities in these locations, and I will get the, uh, the Under Secretary of State, um, the Honourable Member for Hemel Hempstead, to contact the Honourable Gentleman and discuss this important issue with him. Richard Graham. Last week there was a memorial service in Gloucester Cathedral for Tom Walkinshaw, a constituent of the Prime Minister and a legend in my city for all he's done to revive Gloucester rugby. Mm -hmm. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that Tom and many others like him who have invested so much of their own money in our great sports have done a lot to increase self-belief and pride in our cities? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think my honourable friend speaks very well of someone who lived in my constituency who didn't just invest in rugby but also who invested in Formula One which has been an absolutely world-beating industry for our country and we should celebrate that and particularly in the region in which I live where so many people are employed in this incredibly high-tech endeavour. Angela Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister's plan to sell off the forest not show once again that he knows the price of everything but the value of nothing? What I would uh, say to the Honourable Lady and all Honourable Members who I know are very interested in this subject is that what we have is a consultation. We are listening... We are listening to people's views, but let me, make, let me make a couple of things clear. The first thing is, we won't be doing what happened under the last government, which is the sale of forests with absolutely no guarantees of access. Yes, that is, that is, exactly, that is exactly what they did. And I do think it is a good opportunity. It is actually a good opportunity to bust a... It's a good opportunity to bust a few myths about this situation. The idea that all forestry commission forests are open to the public and don't charge is simply not true. There are many forests, like the New Forest, not owned by the Forestry Commission, that have much better access, no parking charges and very good records on habitat. So I think while we have a consultation, we should bust some of the myths that have been put around about this idea. the Prime Minister, John Barron. Speaker, the, the latest US Department of Defence report to Congress states that the Taliban's strength lies in the Afghan people's perception that the Taliban will ultimately be victorious. Is this not now the time for fresh thinking on Afghanistan, which must include getting the Americans to open talks with the Taliban? Because as we proved in Northern Ireland, you can talk and fight at the same time. Well, I would say two things to the Honourable Gentleman. First of all, of course, there has to be a political process. Almost every insurgency in history has ended through some combination of military might and a political process. I accept that. But what I, where I don't agree with the Honourable Gentleman is I think actually this year... I think the Taliban will see that there is no meaningful removal of US forces from Afghanistan. This is going to be another year where the Taliban are going to be heavily defeated on the battlefield and therefore will actually make a political solution more rather than less likely. Jim Cunningham. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Can the Prime Minister tell the House why he's cutting the benefits and pensions to the armed forces? And does he intend to honour the, the agreement with the armed forces? Well, I don't accept what the Honourable Gentleman is saying. Indeed, the armed forces are actually excluded from what uh, John Hutton's report is all about in terms of increasing the contribution that people make. But in terms of what we have done for the armed forces, let me just remind him. First, we said we would double the operational allowance for people serving in Afghanistan. We've done that. We said that for the first time we would increase, we'd introduce a pupil premium for the soldiers' children who go to our schools. We have done that. We've said that your leave should start when you land back in the UK, not when you leave Afghanistan. We are doing that. This government is very pro our armed services, our armed services families, and making sure we give them a good deal. Wales. Speaker. I think the whole House regrets the regular reports of uh, tragic knife crime incidents in this country. Would the Prime Minister agree that anyone who takes to the streets carrying a knife does so with the capability to commit grievous bodily harm or murder, and what sort of punishment does he feel they should receive? No, I, I absolutely think my honourable friend makes an extremely important point. We've got to make sure that people who carry knives know that the result of that is likely to be a prison sentence. We've got to get tougher on what happens in terms of knife crime. Under the last government, we had a situation where knife crime after knife crime was met with a caution rather than actually having proper punishment in courts. And they can talk all they like about it. They were soft as anything on knife crime. Very bad. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The provisions of the Health and Social Care Bill were not costed before or after the election. And given the extension of commercial providers, is it the case that the NHS is not safe in the hands of the government, but that the hands are in the safe of the NHS? Frankly, I, I can't, on the NHS, I cannot do any better than, quote, I cannot do any better. I cannot do any better than quote, than quote the Shadow Secretary of State for Health about our plans. And he said this, no one in the House of Commons knows more about the NHS than Andrew Lansley. Andrew Lansley spent six years in opposition as Shadow Health Secretary. No one has visited more of the NHS. No one has talked to more people who work in the NHS than Andrew Lansley. These plans, these plans are consistent, coherent and comprehensive. I would expect nothing less from Andrew Lansley. <laughs> that is Labour's Shadow Health Secretary. I couldn't put it better myself. Yeah. Eric Olerenshaw. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week, the government committed over £100 million investment into the M6 Heesham uh, Port Road Link, which promises to bring much-needed new jobs and businesses to my area of Lancashire. Can the Prime Minister reassure me that despite our economic difficulties, this government will continue to invest in major capital schemes, particularly in northern areas like mine, which were much neglected by the previous Labour government. Well, my honourable friend makes a very good point, and we have prioritised, in a difficult spending round, spending on capital infrastructure, including the scheme that he talks about. It's very important, as we go for growth in our country, we put money into capital expenditure, into our roads and railways, and things that are actually going to help our economy to grow. And that's exactly what we're doing in his constituency and many others across the country. Austin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister, the Prime Minister insists that the financial crisis was caused by a lack of regulation, but even after the collapse of Northern Rock. He complained that the last government subjected the banks to excessive bureaucracy and too much regulation. He promised to give them an easier ride, saying, and I quote, government needs to do less taxing and regulating. 
Is that why donors in the city have given the Tory party so much money? I remember a time when he used to write the last Prime Minister's questions. I think from hearing what he said, I think the last Prime Minister's writing his questions. The The fact is, they left us the most indebted households, the most bust banks and a deficit. Order! The Prime Minister's answer will be heard. And with some... Order! And with some courtesy. That's what the public wants to see. There's order. They are sick to death of this sort of behaviour. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'll just make one point, if you like, which is this. The City Minister, when the City blew up, is now your Shadow Chancellor. Great pick. Pretty Patel. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister give an assurance that Parliament will have the final say on whether prisoners get the right to vote? And in view of the public's disdain of those unelected bureaucrats in Strasbourg, will the Prime Minister defend our country from any further sanctions from Europe on this particular issue? Well, I think the Honourable Lady knows I have every sympathy with the view that she puts forward. I don't see any reason why prisoners should get the vote. This is not a situation I want this country to be in. And I'm sure that you'll all have a very lively debate on Thursday when the House of Commons will make its views known. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.